0: Let's just pray together. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, again, we just want to praise and we want to thank you for who you are. We want to thank you, Lord, for that time that you came into our lives, that you brought us from darkness into your glorious light. We want to thank you, Lord, for that time that you revealed yourself to us and we became sons and daughters of the living God. We want to praise you, Lord, that you're such a gracious and wonderful God that you continue to come into our lives to encourage, to speak, and to show us your way. <clears throat> and we thank you, Lord, that you're gracious in being amongst us this morning. Your Lord, your word reminds us that where two or three are gathered in your name, that you're there in the midst. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And we thank you, Lord, for your word. And through it, Lord, you speak to us. And so, Lord, we want as a people to ask that you would help us to open our hearts and minds now as we hear you speak your word to us. May we accept it and seek to be faithful to it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for inviting me. Sorry, it's at short short notice. Um, And I hope that uh, what is said this morning... We'll just find a place. If you have your Bibles, you'd like to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll read the first few verses together. Hebrews chapter 12. And again, just let me remind you that this is God's word. This is God speaking to us. And I always say to folks in the past, this is the most important part. So are you listening? Are you listening? To what god has to say because it's marvelous and this is what he said therefore <clears throat> since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us let us fix our eyes on jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And we pray that God will bless that reading to us. Someone said recently to me that we're safe in God's love. And I began to wonder and I began to think about that. And then in my readings, I read these words from a guy called uh, Dallas Willard, who's an American writer. He says this, With this magnificent God positioned among us, Jesus brings us the assurance that our universe is a perfectly safe place to be. Now when I read that, my first thought was, what world is this guy living in? To be able to say that the universe, with Jesus there, is a perfectly safe place to be. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized how true That is, and Miriam and I in our life over the years have proved that to be true, safe in God's love. And I want you to think about that in context of this mission that you're going to be looking forward to at the end of next month, safe in God's love because people out there are looking for answers people out there are looking for something and I believe that we can give them that in the Lord Jesus Christ I don't know if you've ever seen the film called the bear it's a saga it's a story of a, a tiny bear cub and when it's born Its mother dies. But this bear cub somehow survives. And as you watch the film, you begin to realize that actually this young cub doesn't have much chance of survival. Its long-term chances look nil. And then as films go, the unexpected happens. And the little cub is adopted by this giant, An enormous Kodiak this big bear and this big bear is there always watching and always guarding this young cub it protects the cub it begins to show the cub how to be a bear and it's there because the other (coughs) person in the film is the mountain lion and the mountain lion sees the bear cub as a testy meal but the big Kodiak is always there, teaching this young cub and the young cub imitate. You should see the film, it's great. It imitates it how to fish, how to stand, and, and how to rub its back. And when you watch the film, you just have that good feeling sense that everything's going to be okay, that the future is filled with hope and it's great. This young cub is going to live and survive and do great things. And then one day, the cub gets separated from its father figure, the Kodiak. And the mountain lion is there. And the mountain lion has never ever forgotten the young bear. And the mountain lion now sees... That this is the opportunity that it had been waiting for. It was at this point I had to go into my pocket to make sure I had my hanky because it's going to be a weepy. The mountain lion faces the cub and the camera zooms in first on the little cub. And the little cub is terrified. But somehow the little cub remembers what the Kodiak had taught it. And so it stands up on its hind legs, the little thing it is, and it tries to to roar as frighteningly as possible. Because it knows that it's going to die. It's going to die. And then the camera zooms in. On the mountain lion's face. And all you can see in this face, you can read it. It's marvelous. The anticipation that this mountain lion has. You can almost see it drilling. And then suddenly, and you don't know the reason why. This anticipation changes. And you see fear coming in. To the mountain lion's face as it slowly backs away from the young cub and then the camera turns again to the young cub and the young cub is totally surprised and you can see in his face hey you know maybe that growl did the trick after all and then the camera pans back and you take in the whole scene And you see what you didn't know was there. You see what the cub didn't know. Because behind that cub was the big Kodiak bear, after all. Poised, standing ready to do what needed to be done to save that cub. It's then that you knew that the little bear had nothing to worry about because the father figure was there and had never left him. I've just finished reading in my quiet time the book of Acts. And as I was reading, I couldn't help thinking and coming my way with uh, what it would have been like to be a man or a woman there. Because they were just like us. And yet as I read, these men and women in the Acts of the Apostles seem to possess an amazing consciousness of God's power. And that's what made me think about you here as you think about the mission They had an amazing consciousness of God's power. They seemed totally and magnificently, it's exciting, go and read the book of Acts, magnificently alive to the fact that God was there for them. So what was their secret? What was their realisation? What did they learn so that they could live like they did In the uncertain times that were there. Because remember, there were men and women just like you and I. Just like you and I. And the explanation is there. The explanation of the unseen power is there. And you see it when you read it that they were able to say we they were able to say, not that we were able. But they were able to say, He is able. And I want to challenge you that that would be your byword as you go out. Not that we are able to do this great mission, but He is able. He's able. And because they believed that, are you listening? It's great. They turned their world upside down for the Lord Jesus Christ so I want us just for a few minutes to look at what it means (coughs) to be able to say he is able you see a thousand difficulties cross the paths of these men and women in the Acts of the Apostles. Yet one thing you read is this. That he was able to do what? To bring them through. Hot, passionate, temperate temptations. Threatened to wreck and ruin their very existence. He is able and was able to give them victory. As I said, all through the book of Acts. It keeps breaking this great rallying cry, this great call of triumph. He is able. Mm -hmm. He is able. So what is he able to do? And again, we have to make sure that what we're saying is not made up in our mind, but it's part and parcel of God's word so that there's no fantasy here. That what is said is what is true. In Hebrews chapter 2 we read this. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those being tempted. So what is he able to do? In light of these words. The testimony from the, the New Testament is this that God is able to help you can almost hear Peter in these words saying where would I have been with my rash temperament where would I have been with my hot temper if he had not been able to help me or Thomas the doubter with his fears and uncertainties wondering what he could or couldn't do you can almost hear him say if he hadn't have been there to help me And you look at the history of the church in Antioch, Ephesus, Corinth, Rome. Where would they have been with their sin that so easily entangled, they say, if Christ had not been there? He is able. These are witnesses down through the ages that speak to us today. And what do you think they would want to see to you and I this morning. They would want to say, hey my brothers, hey my sisters, it's true what God's word says. He'll help you when you're being tempted, when you doubt, when you fear. He is able. And you might say, but how? How is he able to help me When I have these fears and doubts of even just going to a door, I'm afraid. And it tells you because He Himself has been there and has gone through what you and I have gone through. The cross, that place where Jesus' body was crushed where his blood was shed, the cross, at the cross, Jesus purchased the right (coughs) to stand shoulder to shoulder with you and me. In all that comes and in all that we face. One touch from the all-conquering Holy Spirit is able to make you and I more than conquer. He's not asking me or you to do anything that he hasn't been through himself. He's able. He's able. Believe it, please. Now you might say that that's great. Hallelujah to that truth. It's wonderful. But I'm talking about myself because it's great to be victorious it's great to be helped but what about my failure what happens when my resistance is broken down and it breaks down many many times and I simply quit what happens then and if you turn the pages in Hebrews just a little bit further to Hebrews chapter 7 you'll read these words and again they're words of triumph notes of victory here he is able to save to the uttermost here we see Jesus meeting the deep need of men and women not only in the scripture but here in the remember Paul I was a blasphemer a persecutor of the church, who was a blazing enemy of the church of Christ. Others, we were lepers, segregated from the living fellowship because of who we were, cut off without hope. And he says to us all, read the scripture, hear the triumphant note hear the doxology of people from all walks of life who were able to say that he was able to help me from the uttermost position if you ever get the chance and I encourage you to do read the story of John Newton and it's amazing testimony of this man who was saved from the depths. Listen to what he said about himself. I was a wild beast, he said, on the coast of Africa. And Christ was able to save me and turn my world upside down. The voices in the New Testament and from many others are crying out to you and I today that there is no such a thing as an irredeemable defeat. There's no tangle that he can't untangle. There's no wound that will not yield to his healing touch. There's no lowly outcast who cannot be set on God's homeward road. He's able. To save to the uttermost. And when you go out there and you speak to people, many of them, like I'm sure you have said to me, I'm too bad. God can't save me. Look at what I've done. And here we have God's word that say, not true, not true. He can save to the uttermost. Not only for yesterday, but also for today. But you might want to go on and say, well, that's great to have a faith like that, that can raise the falling and give those that have been defeated, failed a second chance. But is that all your faith holds? Is your faith in a sense like a, an ambulance that follows those in the wake of battle to, just to deal with casualties? Is there nothing more to your faith than that? And again, Acts, the New Testament, sounds this note of triumph. As you flick further on in your scriptures, you come to the book of Jude and you read these words. He is able to keep us from falling. You see, we not only give people words of hope. But we give people words of hope so that they continue, can continue in that hope. Not only does God help, but God is there to support. He's not only the curer of the disease, he is also the preventive agency. He's able. We need to believe that as we go out. He's able so that sin does not take a permanent hold on us. Yes, we will fall. But he helped us to get up again and live the life. Now here's the sad thing. And I haven't read it once. I can guarantee I've read it time and time and time again. That the church in the West has a defeatist attitude. That the church in the West has stopped looking for great things from God in their own time. And yet the scripture says this. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did then, he can do today, and he will do tomorrow. God is there. He is able. If we grasp that, and take it out there, to the people that want to hear it, what a message. What a message. But you and I, first of all, have to believe it. Because they will look in our eyes and they will know whether we're sincere or going through the motions. It's a great gospel. But someone said the other day, if that's all your gospel is, Robert, then it's very narrow and it's very individual. Robert, what about this chaotic world that we live in? about all the uncertainties that this world throws at us you say that God created this world, look around, open your eyes Robert, the world's in a mess what does your God say about that and again we have to go back to the scripture and listen to Paul's words in Philippians 3, he is able to subdue all things to himself See, one of the things that, that came across when I was reading about my brothers and sisters in the book of Acts was this that they never doubted for one moment that Christ's kingdom was set on the victory trail. They saw him and worshipped him not only as the king of the church, but also as the king of the world and the universe. The worldview of Christ. They knew that truth. And they believed that truth. They believed that every knee should bow and every tongue one day will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. It turned their world upside down. Were these men and women just romancing? Were they blowing in the wind? Were they believing some far-fetched fantasy just to keep them going? He is able, the scripture says, to subdue all things to himself. Look at their situation. They were born into a chaotic world. They were born into a world where the mighty Roman Empire itself was threatening to sweep them from the face of the earth. And we live in a world today, and each day it seems to get crueler, it seems to get harder. What was it that kept these people, my brothers, my sisters, your brothers and sisters in the Acts of the... What was it that kept them going? There was two great truths, if you read it, that they they held on to. First, the reality of the cross... And secondly, the glorious reality of the resurrection from the dead. They knew what the omnipotent God could do. These two great facts, the cross and the resurrection, continued to flash across the sky before them. You see, nothing could ever stop Jesus as far as they were concerned because he was able to subdue all things. His, not was his is the victory what a message that we have to tell people out there those who knew the reality of the cross and knew the reality of the power of the resurrection knew that these two powers were irresistible nothing Could stand in their way. And it's a truth that you and I need to grasp today. Sin and Satan, are you listening? Are defeated foes. Jesus reigns. Do you believe it? He is able. Do you remember Martin Luther? The princes of Osberg says, don't go into the town. Don't nail your thesis on the church door. Satan's there. The powers of hell are there. And what was Luther's reply? In Osberg Jesus reigns. The powers of hell don't have any power against the cross and the resurrection he is able the scripture says to to subdue all things but there are those who might say and again people question our faith there are those that might say well that's great and that's wonderful but one thing that I fear and one thing I might miss out on even if I believe all these things is I fear that I'll die before all this happens. That death, they say, will have the final say. That death will have the final laugh. Doesn't your scripture say that we grow up and in the evening we're cut down like like hay and we're grass to be burned? What does the scripture say towards that? Only this. And Paul makes this his triumph. He is able to keep what I have committed unto him against that deed. What have you committed to him that he will keep? Because the, the, the expression that he uses is an expression for depositing something precious that you have in a bank to be kept safely. And if we do that death then doesn't have any power. Death has been defeated. If you're ever in Edinburgh and you go to the high street, go to a place called Tolbooth, at the castle gate where many a Christian martyr was killed. And the story goes that one June morning, a man called James Guthrie, he was called the Knight of Christ, heard his servant crying in the prison beside him. And his master asks, why are you crying? And his servant says, I'm crying because today you're going to die. And this was Guthrie's reply. Come, come, no more of this. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice together, he said, and be glad in it. Why could he say that? Because Guthrie knew the reality of the resurrection of Christ. It's not death, mark that he was going on. But he said it was a hallelujah chorus that he was going on. Death is swallowed up in victory because we live. Because I live, sorry, Jesus said, you shall live also. The stars shall shine over the earth. The stars shall shine over the sea. The stars look up to the mighty God. The stars look down on me. The stars will live a million years for a million years and a day. You listening? But Christ and I shall live in love when the stars have passed away. One thing remains. One great he is able still remains. And it's this it's the creme de la creme he is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or think what do you think about heaven what do you imagine everlasting life to be well we know a few facts about it we know that we'll be at rest we know that there'll be no more tears or sadness there we know that we'll find the answers to many of our life's problems. We know that we will meet those who we've been separated from here on earth. We know that, that we will receive an <coughs> incorruptible body and will be presented faultless before God the Father. But what is it like? We can't actually realize what it's like it's like that vision that Zechariah had remember the young man goes out with the, the ruler to measure Jerusalem and the prophet hear God speaking to the angel and what does God say to the angel He says, run speak to the young man say Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls in other words he's saying throw away the measuring stick the kingdom of God is limitless you can't measure it Let your imagination run wild. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly all that you can ask or think. That was the byword of the church that you see in Acts. The church that changed the world, that turned it upside down they were able to say not we are able but they were able to say he is able and I challenge you as you think about the mission to make that your byword he's able he's able to do great things here in Moodyburn safe in God's love Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? And we've lost our pianist. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you again for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it comes to encourage us. It comes to embolden us. It comes, Lord, to give us a hope, not only for ourselves, but for the dying world that we live in. And, Lord, I want to pray for the folks here. I want to thank you, Lord, for the vision that you've given them. I want to thank you, Lord, for the way that you've laid your heart, you laid on (coughs) them, Moody's Burn, the people out there. They need you. They're crying for you. I pray, Lord, that they would go, go forth with this great thought in mind, that he... Is able. And Lord we believe that. And so we thank you now. In Jesus name. Amen.